0: in first service. Hey, look around. The house looks pretty full this morning. I like it. Make sure you just, hey, go ahead and turn around and wave to people again, because there's a lot of people in this room this morning. Online, good morning. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the Connections Pastor here. Who is excited that we have now got into school season? Yeah, I hear hear some parents back there. Where's my teacher's at? Are my teachers excited? Uh, Okay. She must be new. All right. (laughs) Well, church, good morning. As Pastor Nate said, I am closing out our Parables of Jesus series. We've been in this most of the summer. We've covered seven parables that Jesus told. If you guys remember from the first one, a parable is a story where Jesus has a point to it for us to get from it and for us to learn. I'm closing today with the most probably famous of the parables. And I can say that Pretty bold because I think it is. The parable we're covering today is the parable of the prodigal son. Who's heard that before? Yeah, most people in here have been like, I've heard that before. And I want to say this. It's called the parable of the prodigal son, but I think a better definition for it would not be the prodigal son. It would be the parable of the lost sons. Because if you know this story a little bit, it talks about two siblings And just their diverse story about how they come, in fact, with each other and also the relationship with their father. So I think this is really the parable of the lost sons. And that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Actually, in this story, you'll see a couple things. It's like an awesome movie. Where's my movie people at? Movie people love watching movies. Inside this parable, you're going to see that we have tension. We got conflict. We got pride, we got repentance, we got anger, we got grace, we got humility, and spoiler alert, we got a cliffhanger. That's what we got this morning in this story. That is a lot. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so glad we can gather in your house this morning. As I bring the message, maybe your words and not mine. God, as we come in here, we ask that we humble our hearts. We ask for the Spirit to move as we learn from the pages of Scripture. God, impact us with this story. May we take something from it out into the community. Pray us all in your name. Amen. Now, I said this is probably the most famous parable because it really is. Artists have painted about this parable for years. It's been a muse for many artists. Actually, if you know the artist Rembrandt, he actually painted... The Prodigal Son Parable. And this is what it looks like. You might have seen this before. If you have an original copy, you could probably sell it for $100 million, but you probably don't. So Rembrandt even painted this. What most people don't realize is even back in Middle Ages, art was being inspired from Scripture. So people throughout history have known this story. But this morning as we unpack it, we might look at a different angle or two. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 15. I will let you know right now if you're on U version or myself. Those are both ESV on the screen will be the new international version, so it might look a little different, but that's okay. We're gonna unpack this. We're gonna be in chapter 15. And I wanna talk about this chapter for a second. There's three parables in this chapter. Last week, Pastor Kevin unpacked the parable of the lost sheep. Did a great job, did he not? I mean, it was a great story. Granted, he used live sheep props up here, so I mean, that's cheating already, but that's okay. But as we talked about the lost sheep and how God goes from the 99 for the one, then we have this parable of the lost coin that's right in the middle, and then what I think is the most pointed of the three parables is the prodigal son or the parable of the lost sons, which we're hitting today. But to, in order to understand these parables, you have to know the first two verses of chapter 15, which says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so a couple things we need to unpack with that. As Jesus is teaching, there is two audiences in the crowd. And they both would had a lot of people. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, Jesus is talking to all these people, and all of a sudden there's just one sinner or there's one Pharisee or teacher of the law, if you don't know what Pharisee is. There's two audiences, which had a good amount of numbers. So let's just pretend. Uh, we're going to go right down the middle, splitting right here. We're going to call you guys the sinners, all right? So sinners, own it. All right, we're going to call you guys the teachers of the law. You're very educated. Everyone hates you. It's okay. And so these would be the two audiences. And as Jesus is teaching, he's teaching to the tax collectors and sinners, all these people over here that that need to know God. And as he's unpacking this, the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled. Come on, grumble, Pharisees and scribes. Oh, man, I picked a great audience today. This is great. All right. Because they're sitting here going, hey, we know the Old Testament. Who is this guy? This man is receiving sinners and he's eating with these people. He's eating with these people and no offense, they know how to party so they don't know Jesus. They don't know God. What's going on? And what we know from all these parables, from Pastor Nate and the workers of the vineyard two weeks ago to Kevin last week. Grumbling was happening all the time from these religious leaders because Jesus was spending time with sinners and teaching them. And here's his message. So, as we go through this message, remember two audiences listening to him the entire time. Each are going to take away something different, and it's going to mean something different to each of them. So, here's what Luke 15 says, starting in verse 11. All right, there's a couple things to unpack here. Number one, so we know there's two sons. And the younger went to the father and said, Hey, give me the share of property that is coming to me. How? Who sees that? Yes, this would definitely be the youngest sibling kind of thing. <laughs> but there's a point in here that we miss. The point in here is this and he divided his property between them. When we read this story, everybody assumes that this father loved the youngest better. He gave him money, gave him his inheritance, and he went on his way. He divided it between them, which means the older brother got his too. Who's ever caught that when they heard the prodigal before? We miss that. Put a pin in that because we'll come back to there later when I'm on a rant, okay? We'll get there. The next thing we need to know is this the son had no right to inheritance until the death of the father. In fact, in the first century, in Jewish custom, pretty much what the youngest is saying hey, hey, dad, could you just die so I get my stuff? That's pretty much what he's saying. He has no right to this, it is not his. Not until his father is gone does he get this portion. So by doing this, he's looking at his dad saying, hey, I no longer want to be under your roof. I no longer want to be under your rule. Go ahead and die. Give me my money because I'm done with this. Church, when we understand that's the text, it comes off a little harsher, does it not? We just thought the youngest was a little greedy and asked for some money. and, And, you know, dad gave it to him. No, he's saying I'm done with this. Give me my inheritance. I'm done with you. I'm done with my brother. I'm done with my family. I'm out. I'm out. And what happened? Well, he went to a far city, a far country, and he partied up. All right. He, he partied it up. Let me go ahead and use some lingo that's used today. Um, let's see here. Uh, he got turned. He got lit. He, got, he was in the club, whatever. whatever. And see, look, the front row's helped me out. The young sinner crowd, yes. All right. <laughs> this is what it was. This is what he wanted to do. And then what happened? Well, tragedy hits. He didn't prepare. Famine happened. What does that mean in our context? Well, whoever saves their money for the furnace to break, no one. I remember my parents telling me, "Hey, make sure you have money in the savings account because you never know when the water heater is going to go out." Yeah, that thing lasts for fifteen years, doesn't it? Well, I'll worry about it fifteen. He took all his money and he spent every dime, thinking that life circumstances would not change. And all of a sudden, a famine happened, and he wasn't ready. And here's what it says in Luke 15, continuing the story. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Went from pretty wealthy, let's be honest, because we know later in the story his dad's got servants, so he's pretty wealthy, he's got his inheritance. He went out, squandered it, and now he's in such need, he has sold himself into servanthood in order to live. Now, if you don't realize how low he got, maybe what I need to tell you is, as the Jewish audience would have understood this, a Jewish son is feeding pigs. There's a reason why you don't see a Jewish hog farmer today. They don't mess with pigs. Old Testament law, a lot of things in there. We, can't, we don't have time to unpack that today. And this is what he has, has to do. And he's so hungry, he wants to be fed by the, with the pods the pigs are eating. So let me explain these pods to you. In the first century, in the Middle East, it would be carob pods. I think I have a picture of a carob pod. you mean like, Chase, is that like a rotten banana? No, it's not a rotten banana. You crack that thing open, it's got some seeds in it. It is gross. It is dry. I don't even know if I can compare it to anything. And these were the pigs were eating, and he's so hungry, he's longing to be fed with those pots. That's the need he's in. That's the need. And here comes a turning point in the story. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Let me focus on that first part. But when he came to himself, Or when he came to his senses. What I call that is a hard reality check. Parents in here, how many times have you seen that with your own kids? They think they know what's right. They're going to do their own thing. And then all of a sudden, life hits them in the face. Maybe that's happened to you. Reality got to him. I've squandered everything. My father's servants are being treated better than me. They have enough bread. And he's preparing this speech. I'm just need to, I need to go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy. Just take me in as one of your servants. And what I'm saying is this. He's willing to take less than who he is. So what's the point from this? The point from this is this. Refusing sonship will always lead to slavery. Refusing sonship will always lead to slavery. Beginning of this story, the son said, you know what, Dad, just go ahead and die. I want my gift. I want my inheritance. I want it now. I want it now. I don't want to be your son anymore. I'm done with this. And what happened? He ended up pretty much in slavery because he squandered Everything. And then he has a reality check. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. And he's willing to come back and say, I am willing to just be a servant because I'm not worthy. Now, I want to stop here and have a small little soapbox moment. Everyone, when we read the prodigal son story, this is the focus of our story. When we talk about it, we preach about it. This is very much how the story we hit. Hey, the son realized... He was in need, he was in trouble, he went to his father, and he's going to say, hey, I'm done with this. Most pastors would tell you, hey, this is when you realize you're caught up in sin. And you realize you do have this need for Jesus, you have a need for God, because life is falling apart at the seams. And he didn't think he was worthy, just like we don't. When we mess up, we don't think we're worthy sometimes. I hear it all the time as a pastor, I don't think I'm good enough for God. And for some reason, we forget what 1 John 3 tells us, that we are a child of God because of the mercies he's rained upon us. And we're willing to throw that away because of what we've done. Why? Because we actually think that we have that much power, that much control, that we can damage ourselves so much that God would not want us. Hear me this morning on that. If that's you, that's not the gospel. That's not here. I can't preach that message any better than that. There is nothing you can do where God would say, I don't want you. So if you're finding yourself in that place right now, if you feel like, man, I have squandered a lot in my life and I don't even think God would want me, that's not in the gospel. Because here's the gospel message coming right now. The son decides to do this, verse 20. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and he began to celebrate. Let me tell you something that's in that text. That's completely against Jewish custom, period. The father saw someone come into the house, recognized who it could be, and ran. You did not do that if you had servants. It was the servant's job to go see who was coming to the house. Why? That way your servant got stabbed and not you. I'm serious. As the landowner, you didn't do that. But he saw what could be his son and he ran. He felt compassion and he ran. The father initiates reconciliation. And some of you need to hear that. Because the story that Jesus is telling is saying, hey, my father will run to you. You just got to be willing to get up and go and realize you have need Just as the Father initiates reconciliation with the Son, God initiates reconciliation with us. We have to know that. We have to see that. So if you think you're lost and far off, I hope that message brings you hope this morning. I hope you realize you're not too far gone. I hope you realize it doesn't matter what you've done. No matter what sin you are a slave to, whatever it might be, lust, greed, anger, deceit, Whatever, God wants you. Now, I could end the sermon there, and that would be a cool moment. We'd be like, man, it's like, yeah, leave it here on a high. God loves us. Let's leave. Amen. But there's another part of the story. So let's go ahead and pick up the rest of the story. Here we go. Starting in verse 25. We forgot there was another son for some reason, didn't we? All right. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drove near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Let me stop there for a second. He's in the field, and he heard music and dancing. We we might think today, like, oh, it's a small farm in Metamora, and you could probably hear that from the field. He heard it in the field in the first century. That had to be a cool party. I mean, I'm serious. It was loud. People were celebrating. It was a great time. Verse 26, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Remember, we have two audiences hearing this message, hearing this story. My teachers of the law and my scribes, you would have understood the oldest brother. Been like, yeah, we got to do something to that guy. Because we know what Deuteronomy says, because Deuteronomy says this. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to him, Then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. So that's what these people would know. Teachers of the law would be like, hey. Here comes the pain. Here comes the discipline. That's what the youngest son deserves. By the way, if one of you bring your child to the church for this kind of punishment, we will turn you away. All right? (laughs) But that's what this crowd would know. And this crowd over here is probably saying, man, where's the catch? Where's the catch 22? This youngest has got to be, here comes the switch here. What's going to happen? And they're shocked. This crowd is ecstatic. Man, this Jesus is telling me that God loves me. The Father's okay with this. And this side is grumbling. So the older brother and the Pharisees would have gone along pretty well. I want to focus on one of the verses. Verse 28 of chapter 15, it says this. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. The NIV says pleaded, which is great pleaded or begged. The father goes out to the oldest son and he entreats him please come in. Don't do this. Because now what we have on our hands is a family crisis. We got some drama we got some siblings that aren't going to get along. So much so that if you saw it in the text, that son of yours didn't even call him his brother. That son of yours. Now, this might hit harder to home with some of you because maybe you have this kind of situation going on in your house. What I want to say to you is this. This story is a metaphor about our reconciliation with God. But I understand that this, you cannot read this story and not think, man, or my kids, it ends like this. Is there no reconciliation there? And I think what you see the father do is the right approach. But when he was angry and refused to go in, his father came out and treated with him. Don't do this. All of mine is yours. You do have yours. But there's a key word here, and that word is angry. He was angry. And church, anger is dangerous. Dangerous. And the reason anger is dangerous, because yes, you can have righteous anger, but when it's not righteous anger, let me give you a quote from John Piper. It says this, anger devours almost all other good emotions. It deadens the soul. It numbs the heart to joy and gratitude and hope and tenderness and compassion and kindness. He was so consumed by anger, he wouldn't even call him his brother. And in fact, he's told his father, what are you doing? This son squandered your money with prostitutes. We have nowhere in the story that prostitutes were involved. Nowhere. Either the son knew from gossip or just threw it in there. That's how mad he was. And very true. Maybe he, with all his upliving up in the city far away, in the country far away, that could have been involved, but we don't know that for sure. His anger consumed him. And the father still pleaded with him, do not do this. Because the father knew something. The older son was missing the point. And church, just like Pastor Kevin preached last week with the 99 and the 1, here you have the 1 being the son that squandered the money and came back. And then you have the older brother that you could reference to the 99. You would really hear if you're the Pharisee or a scribe. And what they're missing is this. In each one of these parables, in chapter 15, there's a key verse. So it's verse 7, verse 10, and verse 32. They're going to be on the screen behind me. Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's from the lost sheep. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the lost coin parable. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and has found. Do we celebrate hard when somebody finds the kingdom of God? Because I'm talking to you, church. I'm talking to me too. Because sometimes we might look at people and be like, ooh, can they be a Jesus follower? Eh, I don't know. Or when they do come to Jesus, we have this conversation. Ooh, I don't know. They're not going to last. I know them. And we laugh on conflict, but we know it's true. We know it's true. Those are some of the thoughts that come into our mind because we might have known them when they weren't a sinner. And then all of a sudden, anger sits in with us as part of that 99 or the older brother because he missed the point. Because what the older brother missed was it was his party too. And that's what the father was trying to say. Do you not realize we're in this together? Do not realize that this isn't just a party because he came back. This is a party because you have a brother. This is a party for you, that your family's together, that you are united. He missed it. He missed it. So as we break this down, if you feel like the first brother that, you know what, you've squandered everything and you're coming back to God, and you're worried about coming back to God. I'll be honest, some non-Christians, when I talk to them about Jesus, and they make those first decisions, here's a common statement I hear. I'm worried about what others will think of me. I hear it all the time. I worry about what other people in the church might think about me or say about me. And That breaks my heart. Because when you make that decision for Jesus, the only thing someone should think of you or say to you is, yes, Jesus, amen, thank God. With open arms, running to you. We saw that the Father initiated reconciliation with the Son. Our Father initiated reconciliation with us, the initiation being Christ. So if that's the message you need to hear this morning, I want you to hear that strong. That God wants to be reconciled with you. And he ran to you. And how he ran to you was he sent his son to the cross. The greatest sacrifice of all time. He sent his son to die so that we could reconcile with him. That is the gospel message. That's the gospel story. So maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. For those of you that say, you know what, I, Chase, I got that. I've been a believer for a long time. Great. Strap in. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 says this, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And what this is saying is Jesus is telling the Pharisees, I get it. You think you have your law, but it's not the truth anymore because the gospel message is the cross is coming. The gospel message is God has sent his son is the Messiah, it is me. And he wants to be reconciled with everyone. And what he's saying to the other crowd, those that are lost is I'm here for you. I want you to know that I want you, even though you might think these people don't. That Piper quote still strikes some words. Anger devours almost all other good emotions. It deadens the soul. It numbs the heart to joy and gratitude and hope and tenderness and compassion and kindness. So, for one side of the crowd, you know the message to you this morning is this God loves you, He sent His Son. He's running to you by that cross, by that sacrifice. Just embrace it and say, I want to be with that. I want to belong to the faith. That's the message. Now, because this is a really cool parable and a really cool story, I'm going to ask for some audience participation here in a second. I have an alternate ending of my message this morning. But in order to give the alternate ending, I would like permission I would like to take off the gloves for a second as a pastor. Can I do that church? You good? All right. For the rest of us that we already know Jesus, we know who God is. Anger is an issue. Anger is a problem. And here's what I mean by anger is a problem. I look around at our world. I look around at our country. And man, do I see anger. Man, do I see pain. And church, here's what my message is to myself and you this morning. If you call yourself a believer, you have the right to know the truth, and the truth is the gospel. And we're to deliver that message with love and righteousness. What I've seen these past couple weeks, I have been praying for our schools. I've been praying for our educators. I've been praying for our parents and our school boards. And I've seen some anger being spewed. I've seen some hate being spewed. I want you to know you call yourself a Christian. I call myself a Christian. And it's not okay for you to be spewing that. It's not okay. Because here's the problem we have. No matter what we're talking about, no matter what the issue is, each side thinks that they have truth. Each side thinks they have some truth. And you can put any issue to this, no matter what it is. And they fight with that. But what I'm telling you is if you call yourselves a believer in the 99, this truth supersedes whatever truth else you think you have. And if you're not delivering the message of God loves you, and we can have honest discussion without calling each other names, and hating on people because let me tell you something if we debate issues unfairly and get angry we have that conversation then next week we say hey I go to this church called Great Oaks. you should join me sometime man that message is horrible why? because what they have in their head is man I watched you eviscerate someone I will be the first to tell you as a pastor, I got angry this week. Here's why I got angry. I got consumed with a couple things I shouldn't have been consumed with. I got on social media, and man, that made me angry. I watched the news, and I got angry. Because I see a world that's far from this. And even though my anger might have been a little righteous, there was some unrighteous anger in there. So if you call yourself that you're not a believer and say, hey, I need Jesus. I've told you what your decision this morning is. If you've known Jesus, I have an opportunity because I don't like preaching something to harass. I don't want you to feel awful leaving here. I'm not gonna throw a hook without giving you something to to marinate on. I want you to join me because I'm doing this too because I need it. Next 30 days, 30 days, media and social media fast. That's what I want. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Everything you're going to find on it right now is not healthy. If you want to replace it with this, good. For some of you, Facebook saves your life in a way. And I'll tell you right now how Facebook saves my life. Every morning it lets me know who birthday it is. Super helpful. Good news. I found out this morning you can click on all birthdays and print that page. I am good. I was worried that I was going to forget Pastor Dan's birthday. I don't want to forget that. Boom, got it. Check. So that's the good thing from social media. You can print that off. But I want you to consider taking me up on this. So let me tell you what's off limits. You want to do this fast. Facebook, Twitter, um, TikTok, uh, MySpace, Snapchat, all right? um, Divine. Instagram, Um, I don't know, Flying Pigeons. I don't know what they are anymore. Then the media, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. If you're like me, turn off the BBC because it gets funny too, I promise you. All of it, all of it. And start focusing on God. God. because we have a mission and our mission is to bring the kingdom to the lost and I don't believe we can bring the kingdom to the lost if there's something else that we have a priority in our life and what I mean by priority in our life is there's something else that's consuming more of our time than the gospel that's taking the wrong priority spot lastly I'm done off my soapbox, off my rant if you marinated with a little, little bit it and said, hey, you know what? I-, I need to come back to God. I have been lost or I am lost. I've never known this Jesus. I've never known this Father. I want to learn more about him. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the pastors out front at Connection Central. Please come talk to us. We want to pray with you and we want you to know that we love having you here because it is a decision you will never regret. The song we're getting ready to close with It's called Graves to Gardens, and the opening line is this. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. There's some truth there. Stop searching the world, church. Because it's going to fill you with something, and it's not what we need. Let's pray. Father, God, we're just so glad we gathered in your house this morning. God, as we walk out of here, may we just take the message of reconciliation with us. May we truly know that you have run to us. You ran to us because you wanted to know that we are loved by you, that we are worthy. You sent salvation through your son on the cross. And God, I pray if there's somebody in this room this morning that's saying, hey, I need to make that decision. I pray that they just come and talk to somebody or right now, They just say these words as they're praying silently. Yes, Father, I want your son. God, I pray for the rest of the room as maybe we're just seasoned believers, but we're struggling in a world of anger and malice intent. May we focus on your word and on the gospel. May we go out and be beacons of light as Philippians tells us to be. Be as like your son as we possibly can be because that is our goal. May we go and search and save the lost. May we be what the 99's supposed to be, joyous as we search and as we take in because we love it when another comes to the fold. We pray this all in your name, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said,